Welcome to the Cup of Nurses podcast. Welcome, guys, to the Cup of Nurses podcast with your hosts, Matt Slarchik and Peter Fendero, where we tackle current health news and hot nursing topics one at a time, one conversation at a time. Yes, one at a time. On today's episode, we're going to talk about charge nurses. Um, I'm sure some of you are probably charge nurses on your unit or have been in charge nurse position. Maybe you're even looking to become a charge nurse. Um, we're going to talk about some charge responsibilities and some traits that we see that are very important to charge nurses. Yeah, me personally, I don't have experience as a charge nurse. Peter has for a pretty long time or his in his nursing career. But I, I'm very self-aware and I'm able to pick up traits and characteristics that make a charge nurse very well and things that I really enjoy that I see and I know specific chargers that works. I know my shift will be good. Yeah, but before we dive in, make sure you guys check us out on YouTube, Instagram, a couple of nurses. Come join us for some fun. Exactly, guys. Comment. We like those five stars just that we talked about. Do it on Apple Podcasts, please. That's the way that we grow and we get bigger. So we appreciate anything that you guys do for us like that. All right. And that Facebook group, guys, it's kind of growing slightly. Just like Peter said a couple episodes ago, it's hitting the million, right? Dude, so I'm saying, man, that's what I'm saying. Zero's adding up. So current health news is about stem cells and why they're very important. A lot of people don't know that stem cells are produced in the body every single day, and it has a different function. For It depends on what kind of cell, right? And yep. the stem cell creates itself to be either brain cell, nerve cell, cardiac cell, bone cell, or whatever the case might be. And there's an article that we found, which was a 79-year-old lady that uh, had uh, macular degeneration, and it was starting to deteriorate her vision. With macular degeneration, do you see, like, the white line? Uh, it- no, it's just, like, your the retina, the central part yes. of your retina is the, is the maculus, and that kind of, you start to see black. It starts okay. to degenerate, it starts to go away, and you basically turn to blindness. It's like that black dot that you yeah. see in your vision. And um, she was part of a clinical trial where they inserted a stem cell patch in her retina. And the results were pretty wonderful where she was able to see again in a way. Yeah, she was able to see. Uh, I believe it was for her one eye, um, but still that's... So when you're one, uh, one of your eyes is weakened, the other one starts to go blurry as well. But eventually after the end of this, this procedure, she was actually able to see better than her husband, which her husband just wore glasses and was able to see fine. And you know she was able to outperform him on, on vision tests, which is pretty, pretty uh, drastic and interesting because... A lot of times we deal with people in the hospital that have, you know, blindness or some type of blindness, and it's usually related to macular de- degeneration. And imagine if we could take stem cells and put it in someone's eye and make them see again. That's like one of our keen senses, our sense of sight. That's what we rely on more than anything else. That Yeah, you're right. And I um, there was a podcast episode with Joe Rogan where he brought Mel Gibson on. And it was a couple, it was two doctors, um, both from Panama City, where they do embryonic stem cell research. So there's two different two different types of stem cells. There's ones that are created in the bone marrow, and there's also stem cells that are created in the embryonic fluid, right? right? The embryo yeah. itself of a baby. Yeah. And those researchers were in Panama because I think it's illegal in the United States to do that kind of research. Yeah. And they are able to extract stem cells and inject it via IV. Um, one of them was, I think, Mel Gibson's father. He was very weak. He was on his deathbed, basically, supposedly. 
And they brought him to Panama and they did a few doses of stem cell VIV. And he actually recovered where he was able to walk again after X amount of years. Yeah. A lot of athletes, when they tear their shoulder or their ACL, MCL, they usually go down to like South America and they see the physicians and they get the like stem cell injected into the location of wherever their, their injury is. And they're able to you know, attach and, and regrow those those ligaments um, for some people. I know, like you said, Joe Rogan's been big on I'm pretty sure Joe Rogan has had stem cells put he into did, his shoulder. He did. Yeah. And I'm sure, I think his mother has as well. I think he flew her down for, I'm not sure what, what it was, but, you know, that guy is in really good shape. You know, I've seen his leg kicks and his body kicks. Dude kicks like a, like a horse. I don't know. I don't know what stages we are with stem cell research, but I know they started doing them for like some ortho patients for the knees. And the only problem when it comes to America, as you know, is we like making money off people. So if stem cell injections don't make as much profit as doing the regular hip and knees um, orthopedic surgeries, then why should there be a market for it? Right. Yeah. So currently in the United States, stem cells are more like an alternative medicine, I guess you could say. It's not, I've, I haven't seen any stem cell clinics here. And like you said, I think it's illegal to inject stem cells here in America, right? Pretty sure. But people go overseas to do it and it provides them some benefit. Like the whole, um, remember we talked about before with the whole psilocybin and marijuana controversy where, you know, it's, it should be okay. It should be legalized because if it helps like the lower 10% or 5%, you know, why not allow them to do that? Like same with stem cells. If it helps at least like 1% or 5% of the population that are not being helped with surgery or other medications and they want to just have them, you know, do it legally. That's the issue that we're facing in America. But just then again, like you said before, it's a controversy of, of financial gain, you know, so that's how it is sometimes. And just like with the hospitals, man, we got these people, well, I don't want to talk about patient ratios today, but we're going to save it for next week's episode. But we have these people that get elected for, you know, as stakeholders and part of the, you know, American hospital and health associations. And they don't want nurses to get better ratios because they see that as a, as a net loss. Yeah. And you got these guys in power and they get lobbied into, you know, legislation and they're going to keep us without these safe patient ratios. Yeah, I mean, I'm for safe patient ratios. A lot of people say that it'll take a toll on hospital costs just because some hospitals are, you know, barely um, making their money back or are barely able to survive with their financial gain. But if it increases patient outcomes, you know, that's going to lead to less hospitalizations, right? So it's going to save hospital more money. Because I know if someone's get re-hospitalized within a certain amount of, amount of time, I'm pretty sure the hospital's liable for, for their care, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, we're United States of America. We could, we could do it. We could figure it out. States have been already doing it in California and, and California Washington. California's been doing it for over 14 years. Yeah. It's been 15 now. Right. And they've been fine. They haven't been losing money. And I'm sure their mortality rate decreased and everything. So why can't we do it? Right. I mean, I'm sure some hospitals lost money and had a, had a go bankrupt, but I'm, that happens here all, all the time as well. And not just due to patient ratio, just due to poor management and just poor health out outcomes for the most part. But you want to go back and stem, stem cells? We Save can. that for later, you know, mm -hmm. talk about that forever. Uh, well, like Matt said before, there's a few different types of stem cells. The one probably we're most familiar with and the ones that we know, know the most about are the embryonic ones. Um, they're derived in an embryo that's three to five days old. And those cells are the cells that kind of give life, you know, to, to the fetus and to the baby that, that's born. And those are, those are called pluripotent, pluripotent cells. And they're able to turn into any kind of cell in the body. So nerve tissue, you know, uh, cardiac tissue, muscle tissue, anything. So that's like your, your blank slate. And they also give birth to um, daughter cells that are all, also pluripotent stem cells. So they could create more stem cells. 
And it's kind of, like we said, the, the, the dry slate of, you know, creation and how we're basically born and how our tissues are, are derived. But now, as, as we're adults, we also have adult stem cells in our body that's derived in bone marrow, which gives rise to red blood cells, you know, white blood cells. And before we thought that these stem cells in our bone marrow um, only gave rise to red blood cells and white blood cells. But now we're trying to, we're doing more research and we're able to take those cells out and put them into like cardiac tissue or nervous tissue. And those cells are actually able to, to regrow themselves. But that's currently, currently being done on, on animal studies. So it's not safe for human use yet. I don't know where I heard this, but supposedly Loyola, Loyola, they were testing something where they take like this vacuum somehow and they vacuum up these stem cells and they spray it onto like, let's just say a burn, mm -hmm. burn tissue. And that burn tissue is able to self-regenerate so much better, eliminate less scar and things like that. Yeah, I was actually into a podcast, I want to say a couple weeks ago, and it was about uh, cardiac tissue and, and stem cells. I forgot what it was. It was about a, a cardiologist somewhere, I think they're from Washington or Massachusetts, that was that instead of a pacemaker, uh, this guy was able to implant um, stem cells into like um, basically into the heart where the old old pacemaker was because you know how how our heart paces itself you know the, the AV node and all that conductivity he was able to pace it to place the stem cells by the AV node and they actually took over conduction so instead of the patient getting a pacemaker for his arrhythmias those stem cells just took, took charge and they became the pacemaker wow and it actually worked out fine for this individual and it's pretty crazy and I listened to a podcast maybe I want to say within a six month period so it's something that happened recently I wish I'd done some more research. I just thought about it right now. But it's very interesting. It's pretty cool. That, that is, I, research is amazing. That's why it's like, it, it's so hard to follow up. And that's why we're here to let you guys know what's going on and keep you guys up to date. Just like this patient I had like yesterday, the whole MIT trial. Mm -hmm. um, there's a trial that they're saying if you have elevated troponins and you have like a type 2 MI, which is more related to, usually related to sepsis and a supply demand mismatch, they're recommending these patients of having a hemoglobin above 10. And like yesterday, the hemoglobin was 9.1 and we gave a unit of blood and went back to like 11. And supposedly there's better outcomes with these patients. So they're like in these early, early trials of seeing whether transfusing above 10 is better compared to the regular where we're always like, oh, transfu transfuse seven and below. Yeah, it's actually very interesting. It's, it'll be interesting to see in the next couple of years if that changes. Mm -hmm. You know, we're going to be like, oh, damn. Hemoglobin's, you know, 9.8, we should transfusion it compared to, you know, we'll let him slide to, to 7. And, you you know, imagine being like the elder nurse, like in your 40s or whatever, and saying, yeah, I remember when we to transfuse when it's below 7. Now yep. we got to transfuse when it's below 10. And, and you hear like, oh, those really? nurses sometimes mm -hmm. too, like, oh, like nurses used smoke back in the day and that was okay in the unit. So now we're going to be part of this change or we're going to see how much healthcare has changed in right. the next couple of years. It's very interesting. Very interesting. And for those that are like still unfamiliar of how stem cells exactly work, this is the way I pictured it in my mind. So imagine living in like a mansion and you got to clean this place up. And imagine having this little ma magic box where you press a button and a little servant pops up and you tell him, hey, go clean the floor. You press another thing, hey, go wash the dishes, go clean the bathroom. And you keep multiplying these people till you have a whole workforce that's able to clean up this mansion for like your party. And that's what happens with these stem cells. Your body produces them and they get assigned a specific role, whether it's a muscle cell, and whatever other um, nerve cell, brain cell, whatever you need, whatever your body currently needs, that's what the cells produce for. Yeah, it's like the Mises box. The me that's that's exactly what I was you know. thinking about, guys. <laughs> the Mises box. 
Yeah, another thing they're trying to do nowadays as, you know, modern medicine moves on is scientists are actually trying to take regular adult cells like your muscle cells or, you know, like your bone cells, things like that, your osteocytes, your myocytes, and they're actually trying to reprogram them to not age and to go back to being stem cells. So kind of like reverse cell aging for the most part. And they've been actually fairly successful. They've been able to um, take adult cells and, you know, re-age them or whatever they, the medical term is. And you're actually going to be able to create them to be the pluripotent cells, which is the, they'll, sell, they'll sell it from birth, the same as the embryonic cells. And they're actually would take those and implant them into um, an animal's heart and it decreases their heart failure wow. in that animal. I think it was like a pig, I, I believe, or something like that. But that, that's great. They were able to basically cut off aging. You know, they would age backwards. That's, that's actually not possible. You can't age backwards, but... Prevent but, it from you know, getting worse. Yeah, I'm not friends from being worse. It literally took the cell and then made it back to its original cell. Wow. You know? I love all this medicine. Sorry for jumping topics here, but one thing that we still have to change is the person's, like, behavior and things like that. You know, just like you have this patient that comes in for heart failure because he's fluid overloaded. You give him Lasix. You tell him, hey, weigh yourself daily. If it gets above two, call a doctor. And he still doesn't do it comes back for the same thing and it's like this repetitive cycle where we're spending so much money on healthcare because of people like this and it's cool we're developing all these technologies but when are people gonna like take responsibility man that's right. the problem too yeah and we can't keep giving you you know these artificial things help, help make you better you gotta do it on your own sometimes it's, it's like a chop shop man where the, the hospital's like a mechanic shop man and we just what do you need oh this is down okay well We'll put a new Cadillac converter in. Here's an exhaust. We'll change the air filter. Here you go. Go on your way till the car just gets, you know, broken down a little bit. And that's how I feel our bodies are sometimes, man. Right. Like, we're just not fine-tuning our own body. But. Right. Right. And the last way to get stem cells is through the amniotic fluid. That's also being studied upon, but I guess there are some stem cells in, in the amniotic fluid when, uh, when, a, some, when a woman is pregnant. So I'm not sure how, you know, safe that is to extract. But they do amniocentesis on... on people so i mean i'm sure they extract stem cells with that too i'm not sure if the, i'm not sure if the amniocentesis does that check like the stem cell dna it's it's able to check the fluid and you're able to yeah. diagnose specific things just like, because um, fluid, spinal right? fib, fibida and things like that yeah, spinal bifida yeah it's very interesting but yeah i guess there's stem cells over there so imagine just it'll be crazy if like the government just takes women and breeds them and then just takes out their amniotic fluids you know, what what movie did you watch? That I, have, from? I have no idea, but I have no idea. But that'd be well, some shit. Imagine like these conspiracies. That'd be insane. Imagine this conspiracy where they talk about like abortion. Like, where does that baby go? What if they're keeping that baby alive after and it's under some black market and they're har- harvesting these kids or some crazy, crazy stuff that you see from movies, man? Oh, yeah. I got it from Matrix. The Matrix. I was reading online that they're making a Matrix 4, a fourth one, which is pretty cool too. And I remember that when they were harvesting the people, the machines. I, guess. I still have to watch the first one. Missing out, man. All right, let's jump into charge nursing. I feel like we've been people have been waiting for this one. So we know that charge nurses are leaders. They take on many roles, and a lot of charge nurses never want to be elected. They never want to be promoted to a charge nurse. Some hospitals and management kind of forces them into the position or tells them, "Where well, you're going to be a charge nurse for a few months, and then we'll find somebody else." And they get stuck into it, and they're not everybody's a good leader. Yeah, most charge nurses kind of get, get dumped into being a charge nurse. Like, when I became a charge nurse, I mean, I didn't really want to be a charge nurse. I, I, just, I just did it because nobody else wanted to do it, and we needed a charge nurse at, you know, at some point in the night. So a lot of times, just 
you don't really need an, an increase in education for you just kind of just just do it you said yeah that's fine and then Peter kept coming into work a couple of days a week and he's like, okay, well, I'm charged again and they got used to it. You got used to it and here you go, Pete, more stress for you. Yeah, it's actually not too bad. You get used to it. It's not a, it's not a bad position. It's just like kind of you're in between management and like the nursing staff. Like you're the smooth operation of the unit, guys. Yeah. Like you guys have to be aware of what's going on, patients, family, nurses' needs. You got to like fine tune the unit yeah. and... Take on patients sometimes too. It sucks. Yeah, a lot of times you become your charge because you know you're the senior nurse, or just because you have to, just for the sake of the unit, and nobody else wants to really do it. But it's not. It's not a bad gig. Yeah. So th- they fill the role of a unique role of being a caretaker, a supervisor, liaison. Is that what we call them? Liaison. Liaison. Yes. Sorry, guys. And they they point people specific direction, and they try to balance out the unit with what's going on. If let's just say Peter's stressed out he has two patients doing a b and he has to go on a ct while i'll take over and i'll do something for his patient and give meds and it's all about balance and it's you really need that charge nurse that's that could understand your your needs too right yeah so since i was a charge nurse before i guess i could shed some personal perspective on this uh how how like my night would go for the most part i mean i would probably just show up to work you know um kind of look at the look at the patients look at the sheet how the acuity is you know uh, which nurse has which patient. And I would kind of always look at which few patients are most critically ill on the unit, and I would kind of just hover over there because I would just bring my computer on wheels because you can't call them cows anymore. we got to call them computer on wheels. Cause I, guess I call them wows. Cows. You call wows? Wows, yeah. Wows. Workplace on wheels. Oh, I used to call them cows. Okay. C-O-W, computer on wheels. But I guess somebody got in trouble for that, so it's computer on wheels now. But yeah, so that's how I got my, my day started. It was just... Look who's critical and just hover over there. Uh, look at labs. Um, look at their numbers if they have a CVP done or any kind of kind of uh, cardiac numbers that I could that I could look at. And then, usually I would get a report from the previous charge nurse. We'd go room to room, talk a little bit about the patient, what happened, um, what doctors are saying. And then a few hours later, you know, a physician would would call me, uh, like the, uh, someone from like heart failure or someone that's managing most of the unit, and I kind of give them an update, and they would update me. And then I kind of would just pretty much. Just hang out like around the unit and make sure everyone everything's going fine. If anyone need, needs help, um, I'd help them out. Um, check out the admissions. If there's a mission coming in, you know I want to set up the room for them. If there's a discharge or a transfer, um, you know I'd help transfer the, un- the the patient over to the next unit. Um, and then there's also paperwork attributed to this, but I kind of put that last. I don't really want to like do my paperwork early. I would if it's a slow night, I would do it early, get out of the way, and then just focus on the unit afterwards. Or I would just do it at the end, just because. You know, patient care comes first, and I want my nurses to, you know, be um, be backed up and use me as, as a reference. And it's kind of just how really it is. Just, I think you just kind of more of the reference and just kind of helping out here and there more than, you know, any kind of paperwork. Paperwork maybe takes up like an hour. So I'm from a smaller hospital, and our charge nurse in the ICU, they have a little bit of an extra role where they have to do something called e-cart. And if there's a patient on, like, the floor that's, like, red flag that you know they might become septic or there's something up they have to call the floor ask about the patient look into the chart go up there like three times a shift and like round on them on top of that if there's a rapid response they have to go up like we don't have a rapid response team the chargers in the icu does that and that's a little bs because a lot of times in a night where we don't we don't have a tech on nights to begin with, and now the charge nurse is doing all that, they keep dumping more roles onto them, and we don't have that resource that I would like my charge nurse to be, for example. It's different in your unit. 
here, to be honest, sometimes I'm just a lone wolf, man. Sometimes I'm looking for help and it sucks. Our charge nurse isn't able to supply us the way that she should. Really? It's not fair. Yeah, we have tech, so they help out a lot. And charge nurses, they're usually just more like a reference. Like if you don't know what's going on, you know, she's there or he's there just to troubleshoot what's going on. And it's, it's, it's very helpful. And that sucks you guys don't have techs. Nope. I don't see why you guys don't even have one tech. This is the grid, guys. Management wants to save some money. They keep cutting, keep cutting. Oh, you need at least 12 patients to have a tech. And now it's, you need at least 14. And they keep doing these little grids and keep doing these changes. And we keep just taking it, man. Yeah. We just keep our mouth shut, keep working, and keep getting stressed out because we always get the short end of the stick. Right. And that's something I was talking about a nurse like last night too. Like, where is our breaking point? Because we, as healthcare professionals, we just take a lot of shit from physicians, sometimes from patients, unfortunately, and then we take it from upper management and everything else. And we're just this freaking, you know, this toilet seat that takes, takes everything in, man. Where is our breaking point is my question, where we say, we're not going to tolerate this. We need some change. We need properly to be staffed because it's, you know, it's burning us out and then we're freaking coming home or emotionally numb and that's another article that we're going to touch about, not today, but maybe next week's episode about how suicide is on the rise among nurses. Like, it's not fair, man. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times from the medical uh, industry, change happens once when something hits the fan. You know, then it's kind of too late, but then, you know, I guess you learn from your mistakes. But getting, like, you know, um, different patient ratios is really, is really hard. They're based off, off acuity and stuff like that, but... You know, it's never off acuity. Like, no matter how sick the patient is, he's, he could be a one-on-one or, or a one-on-two. It doesn't matter. If you have two really sick patients, you have two really sick patients. They're not going to throw an extra nurse in there for you. And it kind of sucks. It's very unfortunate for the, for the patient and, and for the nurse. But it's kind of how ratios are in Illinois until we, until we change or something. I, we have the possibility to become the second state after California that does these safe nurse-patient ratios. Yeah. They want to do one, one to four, right? But I'd be down with one five, like you were talking about before. How California does it? They have one to five. Or well, one that's med surge, but like an intensive care unit or progressive mm. step down, it would be three, two, one, and then ICU would be one to one or two to one, depends on the acuity of the patient. Yeah. Like you remember in Oakland, um, the patient had a CRT and had a balloon pump. And it was two nurses. And it was two nurses for one patient. Yeah. That's nice, Luxury. man. Luxury. Luxury indeed. Mm. All right. Yeah, so some of your charging responsibilities are going to consist of, you know, providing nursing care as expected per nurse, nursing standard, you know, you're still going to give patient care, but also you're going to monitor staffing needs. You're going to see, you're going to oversee nurses. Um, you're going to be a mentor to nurses. You're going to be a liaison to the nurses. You're going to conduct performance evaluations. You might be the one that's getting called to help do interviews to um, bring on new nurses. Uh, you got to monitor orders and medical supplies. You're kind of like the, the chain that's, that's kind of bridges, you know, um, what the nurse needs and the nurse itself, um, oversee admissions, transfers, discharges, like I said, paperwork, and just maintaining a safe um, and secure nursing environment. Like I said, a lot of times you're going to be, sorry, my headphones are going, sliding off. A lot of times you're going to be like the most experienced nurse. That's why you're going to be charged. So your care is going to be the resource. People are going to come for you for questions and help with, with things they got to do throughout the day. You can't have like this oh shit face, like I don't know what to do. Like you need you need to have experience as a charge nurse because yeah, you're right. And I, I go to my charge nurse too and ask like the littlest things sometimes and I just like to have a second opinion about things. Right. And, and it if, doesn't hurt. And if you're doing like the rotating charge nurses where everyone takes turns being charged, 
like it's okay to ask other nurses questions because you know just because you're charged you might not necessarily be the most senior nurse there and it's completely okay to ask other staff if you don't know the answer to the question like you know my fluids uh, or not my fluid my patient is like you know he's having shortness of breath he's spitting out pink frothy sputum i'm not sure what's going on it's okay to come to the you know another staff nurse or someone that's that knows more than you and just ask him hey what, what do you think i should do you know, they could tell you, you know, take the CVP, you know, maybe they is there Lasix PR, maybe you got to give some Lasix, you know, call a doctor, get a chest x-ray. That's completely okay. Like, you got to still work as a team. Just because you're, you're a leader today or in charge today doesn't mean you're going to be the charge tomorrow. And it's kind of like a, like you flip roles very often, you know, becoming a the, the leader of charge nurse and then you just becoming a staffing nurse. And, that, and that's how it's in our hospital too. Every single night we have a different charge. There's like one or two people that are like always, always charge. Mm-hmm. And there's a few that switch off. And you can tell like the differences some people are and how there may be less of a resource or whatever the case might be. Right, man. And there's nothing that you can really, I guess, education-wise do to become a charge nurse. You just get thrown into it. Do you as a charge nurse take on patients in your unit? Uh, no, I have a few times. Just because we didn't have enough nurses, so I just, you know, I wouldn't want to take on two or three, but I took on, like, one. Okay. And I was kind of more like a stable one. Be like, hey, can you take this mission? I'll take this patient from you. I know you know, I know he's stable, but I want to, you know, give you three patients or, or four, so I'll just take one, the easier one, and I'll give you this mission. Yeah, and that's, that's being a team player. Yeah, for the most part. But I try not to, because then it's, then it's like you tend to neglect that patient um, a little bit just because you're running around helping everybody else, especially if it's a busy night. But if they're stable, you know, if they're ready to transfer out, you know, from the ICU or to like a tele floor or like a med surge floor, then, you know, you're you're pretty fine. But I would definitely not recommend it. That's just what the staffing needs. That's why we got to change the staffing needs in Illinois or staffing ratios. So what are some good quali- qualities of a charge that you've noticed? Yeah. So the good qualities of a charge nurse, there's a few. Um, one is being assertive, and we'll touch base on all of them, but there's like a good five. Being assertive, humility. Um, being having a perspective, being very aware, and having good critical thinking skills. I think those, if you have those five things, your hospital is going to approach you to be a charge nurse. If not, they haven't already. And we can start with the first one. Like you have to be assertive. You have to figure out the nurse's needs, your needs. You have to be assertive, you know, approach, being able to de- delegate and not worried about people's emotions. You know, some people like the very goody goody ones, they're like, well, I don't want I don't want to do this because she's going to like have a hard assignment. Sometimes you just have to delegate and get things done and not worry about so much like what people are going to think of you and just get it done because you guys are a team. Yeah. You got to take charge, you got to figure out the urgent situations and approach them properly, you know? Like there's times where I had to take on a third patient unfortunately and it sucked, but I just knew it had to be done and it's at there's nothing against the chargers that's doing it to me. It's just part of what's going on it's just a busy night you know she's delegating and she's being assertive man exactly like sometimes you can be the one that's talking to the doctor about a critically ill patient and if the doctor gives you like orders to you know push lasik stat and you tell you tell your nurse hey um i took off the phone with dr so-and-so you know he ordered some lasik and he needs you to push it right away because the patient short of breath and the nurse is like okay and you, you leave and you come back five minutes later and you're like how's the patient doing so oh, i haven't given lasix yet you kind of gotta be like hey you know it's 11 o'clock p.m you know you should give lasix now because by the time it works it's going to be like 11 30 and you're better off calling a doctor at 12 than that's in two o'clock and asking for more orders so you kind of be a sort of you gotta like you gotta do this now and same with like the whole um like acuity wise yeah some nurses are gonna have harder assignments than other nurses and um 
when there's a mission coming in, someone's got to take the mission. You know, someone's got the FH has to transfer, the FH has to transfer. And a lot of times nurses are going to be hesitant or going to take their time with, with doing these things and you kind of be like, hey, you got to do it now. Like, I know it sucks, but I'll help you, but you got to get this shit taken care of now. Something I didn't take about, uh, think about, and it does happen a lot, and sometimes I felt it too, like, oh, man, I'm being kind of pressured to do it. But you just have to be understanding. Right. And I'm sure, like, people could bump heads. Like, I don't know. I feel like when it comes to a male, in a way, right, we talked about it before, like, we just care less. Sometimes I feel like a female could take it the wrong way, man, and this whole queen bee syndrome stuff happens. And, like, I talked to my neighbor, for example, and she's like, if I went on days, I would get fired. Hmm. I just can't. And she's just, you know, telling me A, B, and C is the problem on days and stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Second one, humility, right? Um, just because you're a charged nurse doesn't mean you're better than any nurse on the unit and doesn't matter. It doesn't mean you're always going to be correct. And it's important to always sometimes hear the feedback of other nurses um, just like, I'll give you an example. Like I have, you know, getting a third patient again. And um, she's like, hey, can you take another patient? And I'm just going to be straight up to him like, hey, I just, I can't right now. Like I'm, I'm behind, I'm busy. Like just give it to somebody else and I'll help them set up or I'll do a admission. Like I'm still offering my service. Just I can't do it right now, to be honest. I'll be straight up. Yeah. Yeah. Humility is being able to put your, your ego aside and asking for help when you need to. Like just because you're a charger, like Matt said, doesn't mean you're better than anybody else. You're not necessarily going to have the biggest knowledge base in the, in the unit. It's completely okay for you to not know the answer and ask for help from another staff nurse. Another one we're, we Matt stated was the aerial perspective. So you don't just have two patients or one patient. You got to have a visual of the whole unit. So when you're a nurse, you kind of know which, pa- which patient is sicker than, than the other. You know patient one is sicker than patient two. So you're going to pay a little bit more attention to, to patient eight because he's kind of unstable and you're not sure what's going on with it with heart rate. Or, or, or whatnot, or his numbers aren't, aren't looking as good as they did before. But as a charger, you got to see the whole unit. So you don't have just that one patient to worry about. You got to worry about everybody that's criti- critically ill. And you kind of want to just hover over there and just kind of put a little bit more focus on that nurse with those critical patients, help them out a little bit more, like keep checking up on them and just make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to be doing because you don't want them to miss something or, um, you know, just rush something and then the patient then starts to deteriorate and then you're kind of, over there trying to fix a problem. So you just want to oversee the whole unit and see what's actually going on with everybody. That is a great summary of that one. The third one would be like an interpersonal awareness. So you as being a leader of the unit, there's going to be different family members and different things that are going to happen. And as a leader, you have to be the, the conflict of resolution, basically. You have to come in and approach the family. If you can tell like a nurse has like a difficult assignment, the family is a little bit too much. You as a charge would probably come in there, talk to the family, explain little things. Let's just say if there's a code or after the code, you make sure because that nurse is on that freaking patient's eye, even though it should be holistic and the nurse does sometimes overwhelmed, you should look back at the family and make sure all their needs are met and things like that, right? Right. There's been a handful of, of times that the patient wasn't satisfied with, with their care. Not that I was on a nurse, which is the patient, you know, being a dick for no reason, thinking they're in, a, in like a like a motel or, or a hotel, you know, giving these like demands for, for no reason. And, you know, as a patient, you have your own responsibilities to the nurse and a nurse has responsibilities to yourself. And you kind of got to, you know, make sure the patient understands that, hey, this isn't some place where you can just make demands. You know, you're at the hospital and you, we're here trying to make you better, but we can't be doing all the work. Like, I understand, you know, your leg hurts or whatever and you don't want to take a walk, but, you know, we're going to take a walk because your ass has been in the bed 
for the past 24 hours. And, you know, therapy said you can walk with a walker. So we're going to walk because if your ass doesn't walk, you know, you're going to get pneumonia and then we have to deal with that. And they're kind of stubborn. They don't want to do these things. So they think it's the nurse trying to, um, you know, Make their life more harder. Exactly, trying to make their life more harder. But no, this is the shit you got to do and you just got to deal with it. And you kind of got to set up boundaries. Same with, same with family. You know, if like um, a patient doesn't want certain family members in there or only wants a certain amount of family members, you kind of got to gotta be there to back that patient decision too. Because it's a lot harder for the patient to tell like their sister, I don't want you, you know, here. I want to be alone. You know, you haven't been there for me my whole life. and I don't want you here while I'm sick. It's a lot harder for the patient to tell to, to tell that to the, like their sibling or their family member compared to you. You can just you can just tell them. You have to you advocate know, for that. Exactly, you got to advocate because, like I said, it's super hard and super awkward. You know, for the patient and whoever else is in the room, you kind of gotta you know have everybody leave the room. You kind of yeah, I said gotta be a patient advocate. You don't want that you talking to family if a cold happens and your nurse is busy. You know, cleaning cleaning up after the cold. You're the one calling the family and explain what's going on. And that's why you need very good like interpersonal skills aside from being in charge and just a regular nurse, let's just say, or a charge. Like if you walk in there, you have to be very quick of creating a good relationship with the patient. Find like I always ask like, hey, what'd you do for a living? Or how many kids do you have? Just to kind of gauge the conversation. You know, let's just say they were never married, then I already know, like, hey, maybe there's something underlying going and then I ever have kids, like I'll approach them differently. You know, like I have approached every patient and it's good to walk in there. And then just figure all that out because sometimes there's needs that are not met. Just like you said, they don't want to tell a family member, but the family member is in there doing things, you know. Or even last night I had a patient that the daughter was in there and the daughter was literally creating anxiety in the damn patient. dude. That patient was in a flutter, 140s, 130s sustaining, man, beats into the 170s. And the way the daughter approached the, the patient every single time was like, are you okay? Like the way her approach was is something, something, something's always up. Like, what can I fix for you? Right. And it was creating so much anxiety. And then after the freaking, the daughter left, the patient's heart rate literally went back to the one teens, 108, 105. So it's just interesting how, and I, and back to my story is I was the one that kind of advocated, Hey, maybe you should go home and get some rest, like give her a break. Because I was realizing that the patient was getting frustrated from her own daughter. Yeah. It's crazy to see that. Like when a family is gone, the patient's fine, you know, relaxed. But then when a family's here, you know, they're a little bit more agitated or, you know, they start pressing the collar for these little things and they become more needy as a yes. family's there. For some reason, it just turns them into a whole different different person. Sometimes you got to be the advocate and be like, hey, you know, you know, it's nine o'clock, you know, visiting hours end at 930. You guys got to leave at 930 instead of having them, them stay overnight. Don't say we got to pull out couches, say, hey, patient got to rest. You guys don't mind leaving, come back in the morning. And then the fifth one that Matt stated was a critical thinking. You got to be able to be able to critical think. That's why it's really dangerous for new nurses to become charge nurses, which they rarely do. They usually want some kind of experience because, you know, your patient's short of breath, you know, pink frothy sputum, you know, they have plus three pinning edema in, in their feet. You know, a nurse that could critical think or a nurse that has, you know, um, has had a few years of experience can tell that patient probably fluid overloaded. And they're kind of able to take the steps quicker than somebody that, that's new that have to call the doctor, you know, call a rapid or or call somebody else for help. You, know, you want to be the one that's the resource. You got to be there to help the nurse and help the patient. Like we mentioned many times before, you are the resource. You're supposed to be the one that everyone goes to for their questions and their concerns. And let's just say in the ICU, we know you got the critical thinking skills already because that's what you came to be. But let's just share on a message floor. You'd be surprised. 
of course, right? Common sense ain't common. But you got, let's just say you're a charge nurse on med surge flow, right? And you have a nurse that has five patients in Illinois, six, right? And those nurses are so focus-oriented on tasks that sometimes the critical thinking is there, but it's not because they're so like, I got to do this. She needs ice. I need a cup of water. Pain meds there. Like, dude, you got, you're swamped. And let's just say your your nurse tells you, yeah, the patient just isn't looking too good, but she doesn't follow up with that because she's just so busy with those tasks. And you as a charge nurse, you should be critical thinking. Maybe look back at the chart, go check up on a patient, see what's going on. Because sometimes maybe you'll catch it when a nurse is just swamped with things. And that's a good freaking leader, man, where, where they're able to kind of troubleshoot that or think beyond or look into it more when the nurse just kind of like says that because she's probably reaching for help and she's just swamped, right. you know? I could have said it better myself. You know me, I'm tr- always trying to keep it real out here on this podcast. And there you go. Okay. Um, and then like how to become a charger. So a lot of people think it's some kind of degree, it's certification. It really isn't. If you have the five key, um, do we call them skills or five key personality traits or five traits? Maybe skills. Skills that you have being assertive, humility, critical thinking. Perspective. Be- perspective, being aware. Like the hot management will see that and they'll probably come up to and approach you or see if you want to take on that role. A lot of, I've seen on day shift, I see it more where they're, oh, I'm a clinical coordinator now and they take on these roles. So if you want to step into more leadership, that's the route to do it. Focus on those five things and let your actions do the talking. You know, Don't ask for it, don't beg for it. They'll approach you if you know what the hell you're talking about. And if they haven't already, then you could ask or do a self-evaluation and see maybe what you're missing as a nurse, you know? Because we're not all perfect. I slack on things. Peter does too. And that's just how the things go. Yeah. Yeah. For all the charge nurses out there, you know, let us know how your charge nurse career is working out. Let us know what you see most in charge nurses or what you want to see or just let us know like some key key things you should let chargers know before they become charge nurses. Or some tips that maybe yeah. we haven't included. You know, we can't get everything on in this short period of time, even though it's already so long form. Yeah. That's about it, right? That is about it, guys. Next week, guys, we're going to have a guest finally on. So be on the lookout for that. We're finally kind of switching things up. Um, don't forget to subscribe, like, sign up to our email. We're um, having a checklist coming out very, very soon. And a lot of great things happening, guys. Thank you for being fans, right? We're going to have some merch coming out soon. There's good things happening. Yep. Good reading, guys. Have a great day. Take care. Deuces.